Miss Tyler wrote songs like uh, Wall of Prayer and Nail Scarred Hand. But long before we even met her, she wrote this song. And uh, I feel like, even though I didn't know her, she wrote it especially for me. The name of it is He Rescues Me.
We, we, might, have, we might have to hit you a little bit on the course. Oh, well, that would be good. That would be great. <laughs> Incidentally, Brother Wayne come to our revival while y'all were out running around all over the country and, and did a great job singing for us and we appreciate him coming.
Well, I want you to pray for Brother Ricky as he comes. You know, I thank the Lord every day for what he's done. And I, <coughs> I still go back to when I was praying hard for the Lord to send preachers over here to Liberty Hill. What a blessing Brother Ricky uh, Brother Bobby has been to our church. Um, boy, they have been to me. I'm going to tell you, I appreciate them uh, today. But I want you to pray for Brother Ricky as he comes and uh, let the Lord speak to you, whatever He'd have you to do. You feel free to do that in the Spirit of the Lord. Love you, brother. I'm going to preach until Brother Michael brings that back. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, it's good to be here tonight. Um, since I had the distinct honor of taking us. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 18, I thought I would preach on the flip side of that tonight. Um, that was a heavy lesson that we had to teach, but it is the truth. But I'm thankful that the Bible does not leave us there. <clears throat> Romans 1, 2, and 3 is, is pretty bad news and pretty grim news, but there's wonderful news. If you would turn to Luke chapter number 23, Luke chapter number 23, verse number 32, I want to <coughs> highlight the beauty of God's grace. Yes. But I thought about this over there, and I'll say this, and then I'll read, but uh, Elijah, one day he came home and he began to tell me something that he had learned in at... Uh, daycare. He talked about how God came into our hearts and you know made us better people and, and he, in his small way he began to talk about uh, salvation. And as he was walking off he said, do you know Ellie Joe? Which is a little girl in his class. And I said, yeah I do. And he said, she needs Jesus because she's mean. And I said, son, well, you do too. And it's easy to point at the others that need Jesus, but it's when we can point to the inside of ourselves that we realize that Romans chapter 1 is all about us yes. and not about their group that we like to point out at the end of Romans, but that we're standing right there in the middle of Romans chapter 1 that we knew God, that we have no excuse, and that we... We don't seek Him as Romans tells us. And if it weren't for His grace, we'd be goners. And we'd be lost as, as the worst, quote-unquote, worst sinner of the world. But Luke chapter number 23, stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. If you can't stand, uh, position your heart to reverence God. The Bible says in verse number 32, it said, There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. 
And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. You may be seated. Um, we come to this Scripture knowing that this is uh, the crucifixion. This is one of the uh, most paramount uh, uh, places in, uh, in all of Christianity. This, uh, the birth of Jesus and the resurrection are the, uh, probably the three things that we would look to to, to hinge all of our hopes on. Uh, but we, if we go back in Matthew, we find out that they bring, they, that they bring Jesus up on uh, trumped up charges and uh, he's done nothing wrong and they bring him before Pilate and Pilate is doing everything he can do to keep uh, the Pharisees and all of them at bay. And they, so he offers them and, and this is where Jesus begins uh, to show grace to a man named Barabbas. Jesus is standing there and Pilate says, I know the way out of this. I'll offer them this horrible uh, human being called Barabbas, who we, we know as a murderer from uh, this study of Scripture, but uh, they cry and they say, well, give us Barabbas. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus didn't look and say, hey, wait just a minute. I'm the guiltless Son of God standing here and you're going to trade me for a murderer. Nobody says it. And the Bible says that he stood before Pilate silent. And he answered him not a word. I believe he said two words to Pilate. Or maybe a little bit more than that if you read all of the Gospels together. But what a beautiful story of grace. Because Romans 1 tells us that we're without excuse. That's all of us. Amen. The baby who we call innocent the missionary Baptist preacher in the suit. We're all guilty before God, but Jesus stands and He takes the place of Barabbas. And we want to look at this thief that we read about in Luke chapter number 23, and we want to say that he was different than the other man on the other side. But he wasn't. If you'll read in Matthew... Chapter number 27. The Bible says in verse number 27, verse number 44, the thieves, both of them, also which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Both of these men are railing on the Son of God. Both of these men we find out were criminals. They deserved what they were getting. They deserved to be hung upon this cross. They were without excuse. I told you about the big black man named Vody Bacham, the big black preacher. He said, I never answer the question. 
How could a good God send someone to hell? He said, because that is the wrong question. Because you see, when we think about it, when we stop looking at everybody else and we look on the inside of us, we realize that our, if we got justice for what we deserved, we would all end up in hell. That's right. But I'm thankful for the beauty of grace. And I think we misunderstand grace, Bo. Yes, sir. Because when we testify, we say, I found Jesus. Or I did this. Or I did that. And that's true. We did have to have faith to come and to bow and to do all of those things. But that's not the beautiful portion. The beautiful portion is that we found grace. And so we're met at this scene that Jesus is being crucified. And He's not alone. There's one on the right side and one on the left side. And which was on which side, I don't know. But we, the Bible tells us that He was being crucified with two malefactors. One on the right and one on the left. And we come to this portion of Scriptures where both of them, we know both of them from the book of Matthew have been railing against Jesus, but something happens in one of these men. I don't know what happened. I don't know what he realized. I don't know if he realized exactly where he was at and the condition that he was in. But the Bible tells us that the one malefactor continued to rail on him and said, if you're the Christ, if you are who you say you are, if you are who your followers say you are, Save yourself and us. And us. He was looking to save his own skin. And like I said, I don't know what happened to this man. But the other one rebuked him. And look, look what, he, what he said. He said, do you not fear God? See that thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly. I'm here, I'm being crucified, and I'm getting exactly what I deserve. And you're getting exactly what you deserve. And that's not what saved this man. Nothing changed when he admitted who he was. He was still a Roman criminal. He was still going to die. They weren't going to come take him off the cross because he confessed to what he had done. And he looks. He said, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. Amen. I don't know what he... The Bible's silent on what this man realized. So all we can do is speculate. 
And we won't do that because I like to do that. But this man realized who he was and he must have realized who he was beside. Because he turned to the only place that would snatch him from Romans 1 and deliver him into the hands of a gracious father. The same gracious father that in Genesis 3 looked as his creation went against the only rule he ever told them. And we want to say he was a mean God for kicking him out of the garden. But we forget about the other tree in the garden that would have sealed them in to that life of being separated from God. And so this man says, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds and this man has done nothing amiss. And so he looks to Jesus. And this is all that he says. Remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom. Think on me, Jesus. When you go back to your rightful place, into your kingdom that's not of this world, remember me. The gospel in two statements. I am guilty. Remember me. The beauty of grace it's beautiful. It was beautiful when Lacey came down and got saved. It was beautiful when my daughter jumped in my arms and said, Daddy, I got saved. It was beautiful when I got to baptize her. But when it was the most beautiful was it was when it was me. Because I was one of those preacher's grandkids. Never done nothing wrong, quote unquote. And I was as lost as anybody else. And God convicted me. And my hope wasn't that I could go hide under the coat of my grandfather and say, well, my grandfather's pastor. I don't know how long he had pastored at that time, 40 plus years. That's got to be good enough to get me in. Mom's been a faithful church member and she's played the piano for so long. No, it was up to me to realize. You realize the world thinks we're crazy? That an eight-year-old has done something against God. And that's because we don't have the proper view of God and we don't have the proper view of sin. You see, we got a lot of people arguing, saying eternal punishment doesn't fit the crime. Oh, yes, it does. You just don't understand who God is. I believe it's Paul Washer. If you want to feel bad about yourself, go listen to Paul Washer. 
But he talked about it. He said, if you go to a junkyard and you take your key and you scratch a car, he said, they may run you off, but that's probably about all that's going to happen. He said, if you go to a used car dealership and you do that, they're going to call the cops and you're probably going to pay a fine and you may spend a little bit of time in jail. He said, now if you go to a Lamborghini dealership or one of these others, they're going to throw you under the jail. Why? Because of the value of the thing that you injured. And the problem is, is we don't actually understand how far we are from God and how high He really is. This is why that just the simple, and we call them, we like to call them big sins and little sins, Miss Linda. And that's why even the smallest sin deserves an eternity. And I'm going to say an eternity in hell because that's not where you spend eternity. Because hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. And the devil doesn't own it. It's not his hell. And I was misunderstood the other day, but I want to apologize for it because I meant what I said. I, I, I just, I had to explain it. Pat caught me after it. And she said, I had a problem with you saying that God sends people to hell. She said, because we choose. And I said, yes, we do. I said, but it's both and. And you get mad at me if you want to, and that's fine. But what I meant by that, we do choose. This, uh, this other malefactor, there is a beauty to grace, but there is also a, a horror to justice. This other malefactor, he did choose. Uh, according to Scripture, he died. And from, from the evidence that we have in hell, he lifted his eyes. And he chose that. Yes, he did. But God as judge sent him there because that was the proper punishment. And you can argue with me all you want. I believe that. And we can disagree and that's okay. We'd still be friends. But Jesus said, fear not the one. And I'm not going to quote it right, but it can, it can harm the body. But fear the one. Can you quote it for me? You know what we're talking about. The body and soul in hell. The body and soul in hell. And that wasn't talking about the devil. My God. I was talking about God. And yes... This makes me uncomfortable too. Just like Romans 1 does. Because the truth is there is a place called hell. But the truth is also there is a thing called grace. Because the Bible tells us that he could have called Legions of angels, and we love that song and we love the imagery. I got news for you, he's never calling them. He's the only one that has ever loved the Lord our God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength for even a second. The only thing that he wanted to do was to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father was that none should perish. 
but that all should come to repentance. And I may get in trouble for saying this, but God could twist your arm and He could save everybody on the planet. He could. He could save every instance of cancer. He could make it all go away. He's that powerful. If not, we got the wrong God, brother. But but He chose to give us the opportunity to look His way. It is the sovereignty of God. It is the grace of God, which is the unmerited favor. We must have that for salvation. But the Bible also talks about whosoever will. And what one group likes to say is that we're damaging God's autonomy and we're damaging His kingship. No, we're not. He said, I, I, have to, I have to come and say that He is the one that set it up that way. If it's that way, it's because He allowed it to be that way. But this man met grace. But both men met grace. But it was only one one looked at him and said, if you are Jesus, if you are the Christ, if you are who you say you are, if you're the Savior, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. What a selfish prayer. And yet this other one rails against him. He didn't look and say, well, you're a worse sinner than me. No, he said, you're the same as I am. And we're guilty. He said, just remember, when you come in your kingdom, and the beauty of grace spoke back, and said, and verily I say to thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Oh, but he didn't deserve it. No, he didn't. But neither did you. And neither did I. Whether you're saved at 80 or 80. That's the beauty of grace. And I love it. The man, the man knew nothing. According to, uh, according to the evidence we have in Scripture, wasn't baptized. He didn't join the church. He never took communion. He never walked the aisle. He never got a chance to throw the King James Bible and wear a tie. But he looked at the Savior and he said, Remember me. And the voice of grace spoke back. Yes. It said, Today shall thou be with me in paradise. And if we're not careful, we'll look and we'll say that God of the Old Testament was mean. And then Jesus showed up. No, 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 no. They're the same. Because God didn't have to set forth this plan of salvation. He could have took Adam and Eve and said, I'm done, I'm through. Go find your own way. But he did. 
There were consequences to what they did. But the voice of grace has echoed from eternity past. Jesus wouldn't blame me, Brother Steve. I don't know how it works. I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't know. I, I don't know how it worked. It was never discussed. It never became a plan. It just always was. That Jesus would come. The God man. Fully God, fully man. Live a sinless life. Stand in our stead. Be crucified. Be buried, be resurrected, be ascended back to the right hand of the Father to make intercession for me and you. So that grace could echo down. So I don't know. I don't know what happens to the ones who don't hear the gospel. I don't know. I can only go by the evidence of what I read from the Bible and the evidence does not look good. But I can glory in the fact that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. And I'll end with this. I agree. I ended with my Sunday school with this. And I'll end with this. I love what this, what John Deloney said when he was talking about that man of God over in a far country. And they began to talk to him about all of the terrible, horrible things that happened. And they said, how in the world can you believe in God. Where is God? He said, I don't know. That's not the question. The question is not where is God. The question is where are God's people? Because I'm afraid that if they don't hear the gospel, that they'll end up in hell just like as Romans puts them there. And maybe we've ignored Matthew number 20, Matthew chapter 28, which says, go into all the world. Now we ought to, we ought to go into the community, Brother Chris. But we also ought to go into the world. And instead of preaching a self-righteous gospel where we talk about all of our accolades and all of the wonderful things that we do and the Bibles that we carry and the clothes that we wear, tell the world I was once lost just like you but I heard the voice of grace Amen. I love the scripture I'm trying to end go ring the buzzer man but I love the scripture where they take this woman caught in the very act of adultery And they drag her to Jesus. And you want to know the mistake they made? They threw her at the feet of grace. <laughs> they thought we got her now. Bunch of heathens. How did they know? What tent were they peeking through? Where was the man? They brought her to Jesus. Look, look at this horrible, wretched sinner. 
caught in the act of adultery. You, what? The law, of, the law of Moses says this. What do you say, Jesus? He says, you're right. You're exactly right. The law says stoner. But you who are, who are without sin cast the first stone. And he bows down and he begins to write in the sand. And I kind of agree with Brother Greg Stone. It doesn't matter if he was doing tic-tac-toe. This is my only fear, and I'll say this, and I'll honor you. There was another time that a godly family began to write in stone. And it was on the mount when Moses brought down the Ten Commandments. And you, that ain't worth nothing. That's my opinion. All I know is that whatever he wrote, stones begin to hit the ground. A lot of what Brother Michael said this morning, the older I get, the more holes my pocket has in it where my stones are falling through. And Baptists, we're bad about it. We love to hammer sinners over the head with the Bible. And that's necessary. But don't forget about grace. Don't forget to preach the whole counsel of God. And that's that you're justly guilty. But grace is there. Go ahead. Give us a verse of some song. You may need to pray. That's all I got this morning. Or this, tonight. I don't even know what day it is. Amen. Page 57 in the church. Amazing grace.